I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Run Your Money. Today on the show, we're talking about what to do with the cash sitting in your savings account. I'm Veronica Grant, your host and personal finance consultant. Let's dive in. All right, before we jump in, I just have to remind you to please make sure you are subscribed to the show. And then if you haven't left a rating or review to please do so. And then also share this podcast with your friends, whether it's this episode or another episode that you think might be helpful for your neighbor or coworker or friend or sister or whoever sharing, subscribing, rating the show is podcast currency. And I just really, really appreciate that. Before we get into today's episode, I want to be super transparent with what's going on in my life. Starting next year in January, I am beginning a master's in accounting program. And I am so excited. I love accounting. It's how my brain is wired to think. I wish I had done this years ago, but everything's in divine timing, I suppose. I love thinking about taxes and What people don't realize is tax strategy and investing go hand in hand. And while a lot of times that operates either on the corporate level or the high net worth people because they have access to accountants and tax attorneys and all that kind of stuff, there are a lot of things that quote unquote normal people could be doing to optimize their taxes and investing. So my plan is while I'm in my grad program is to continue this podcast and to continue teaching you what I'm learning and distilling it down to what is useful for you as an individual person and hopefully to make things that feel sometimes confusing and convoluted and complex to a lot of people and making it super clear and grounded so you can understand what applies to you, what doesn't, and most importantly, how you can implement to optimize your money. I think a lot of people think that tax strategy and investing is for quote unquote rich people, whatever rich means to any given individual. But the truth is, and I've long said this, and I firmly, firmly believe it, if you don't have a trust fund that you are going to be entitled to at some point in your life, 
I would say tax strategy and investing is even more important to you because if you already have $10 million in the bank, let's say, you can earn 5% on that for the rest of your life, either in a savings account now or in a more moderate investing account and do quite well because 5% of $10 million is a lot. But if you don't have that coming for you, then I would say that investing is even more important and tax strategy is even more important because having a few thousand dollars more on your tax bill actually matters a lot more to you than if you have 10 million in the bank. Also, it's more important for you to get in on that investing that gives you a 7 to 10% rate of return average every year because you have a lot more need to grow your money as opposed to someone who already has $10 million in the bank. The goal is less about growing that money and more about sustaining that money. So the, the math totally changes. But the way that our system is set up now is it's com- the complete opposite. It's like the rich people feel like they have to know all the tax strategy and the investing and the quote unquote regulars feel like that stuff is just for the rich people. But it's in my opinion, it's the complete opposite. So that's what I'm hoping to continue teaching you about on the podcast. And I'm not exactly sure what my time's going to look like next semester when I start. My hunch is that the first semester is going to be really hard just because I'm not really used to being a full-time student anymore. So I'm not sure what my client load is going to look like, but I do plan to continue this podcast. So I have ads on it because that makes it sustainable for me to keep the show going while I'm in school. That all being said, this is where rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing really helps because that helps the show get out in front of more people like you who need this kind of education. And that helps build my ad revenue, which makes it more sustainable for me to do this while I'm in school. So I really appreciate whatever support you can give in terms of getting the word out there about this podcast. I'm sharing this with you not so that you can pity me or feel bad for me. I'm not that's not the tone that I'm going for at all. I am sharing this with you just in total transparency. Because to be honest, I don't think enough people are transparent about their money and how they make financial decisions. And this was very much a financial decision to have ads. If I did not have ads on this podcast, then I probably would not be able to continue it while in school because I would just need to do something else with my time to uh, fill in some of that financial gap. So I am sharing this out of financial transparency. I am always going to be sharing numbers and how I think through things. So we are going to dive into what to do with cash you might have sitting in your checking account. And when I first started this business, I know that there's probably going to be a number of people that are tuning into this episode thinking, oh my God, she's talking about me. (laughs) But I just have to say that multiple, multiple, multiple people told me this. So it's not just you. When I first started my business and I was telling some people in my inner circle and some friends, so many people said to me, oh my gosh, Veronica, yes, I'm so excited. Also, I have like $100,000 sitting in a savings account. What do you think? And there's a part of me that was like inside like, oh my God, in a savings account? No. A friend told me that and then another friend told me that and then another friend and it just became this theme of people were sitting on cash that they'd just been saving from working for however many years, and they knew that they should be doing something with it, but weren't really sure what. So they just kept growing and growing and growing the savings account. 
if you're like, I have $100,000 in cash or whatever the amount is, 50,000, 20,000, 120,000, whatever that number is for you. If you have a lot of cash sitting in either your checking account or a savings account, this episode will give you a roadmap to think about what to do with that money so that you can optimize it and also hopefully save you a little bit of money on your taxes. Here's the thing about the steps to take. The first few are pretty universal, regardless of where you are financially or what else you have going on in your life. And then once we get beyond step three, that's where it begins to be a little bit of choose your own adventure. So I'm not saying you have to do this and then this and then this and then this and then this and there's no other way to do it. (laughs) The first few steps, again, I think are pretty universal for everybody. But then after that, I'm going to talk you through some different options that you can do with your money so that you are best optimizing it. And of course, if you really aren't sure or you want to talk through it or you want my advice for your specific situation, this is where booking either a one-off session with me or my longer-term program, the Run Your Money Roadmap, is going to be most helpful so that I can help you figure out what will work best for you. And just remember, as I said on top of this episode, my time is going to be much more limited starting soon. So if you are interested in getting on my calendar, I would definitely jump on that sooner rather than later. And you can go to veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me to book your spot. All right. So you have cash sitting in the bank and you're like, how much should I keep in cash or what should I do with this? Here we go. Step one, you need to have an emergency fund. So no matter what, you never want to have zero dollars in cash because you will come up with emergencies. I don't even like the name emergency fund. I just use it because everyone knows what that is when I say it. But I don't want you to think of it as an emergency fund because just living life, you are going to come across unexpected expenses. Sometimes that expense is going to be quite small, like you, I don't know, spilled wine on a favorite shirt and now you got to take it to the dry cleaners. And sometimes those unexpected expenses are going to be quite large if it has to do with your car or something breaking in your house. So you need to have an emergency fund because an emergency fund keeps you out of credit card debt. If you don't have an emergency fund, then when something does happen, depending on how much extra money you have in your budget, depending on how big the emergency is, it could send you into credit card debt. And while I think debt can be a great way to leverage and grow your money, credit card debt ain't it. (laughs) It's not the way you want to go because that interest is so, so high. It can be 20% interest or more, which is really, really expensive for debt. Okay, so you want to make sure you have an emergency fund. Now you might be like, how much of an emergency fund? Here's what I recommend. You need at least three months of pared down living expenses. That's the bare minimum. I think having something like six months is probably better, but it depends on a few things. One, if you have kids, I think you should have closer to six to 12 months. If you have a house, either you should have six to 12 months as well, or have a separate savings account for your house because things will need to be replaced at some point whether it's to get repainted or the roof or HVAC or whatever. So either six months and a separate account for your house savings account or just 12 months. Now, I don't think you need to have a fully funded 12 
month emergency fund in order to move on to the next steps, you need to have probably at least three months fully funded in your emergency fund before moving on. Once you have that, then you can move on to the rest of the steps. And then out of your budget, you will just add more money into that emergency account until it's fully funded at either that six or 12 month mark, depending on your needs. The other thing that I think will determine how much money you need in that savings account is the kind of industry that you're in. For example, my husband is an engineer. He works for the U.S. Mint. So he's pretty job secure. He's not getting fired or laid off anytime soon. So we're not really that worried about him ever being laid off and only relying on my salary or our savings. If, on the other hand, you are in an industry that is going through a lot of change, there's been a lot of layoffs, then you're going to want something that is closer to that six to 12 month mark. So it is going to be very individual, but generally six months is average. Once you have at least three months in your emergency fund, and then remember, you're going to add a line item to your budget to add money into that account every month until you hit that fully funded amount. Then you want to pay off any high interest debt. And I would lump sum this if you have any debt that is more than that 7 to 8% range. If you have a personal loan, if you have a credit card that is very high interest, I would take whatever cash you have in this savings account and just pay off in full your credit card or whatever this loan is. If you have less than 7%, and especially if it's like less than 5%, in my opinion, I would not lump sum it. I would just keep paying that minimum payment until you pay it off. And that's because your money is going to do better in the stock market invested than it would be to pay off like a 3 or 4% loan. Now, this is very scary for some people because whether or not they've explicitly followed the likes of someone like Dave Ramsey, it is very entrenched that debt is bad. If you have debt, then someone else owns you and blah, blah, blah. And here's the thing. If you bought your house before a year and a half or so ago, depending on when you're listening to this, you likely have a mortgage that's under 5% and very possibly a mortgage that's under 4% interest, which means that to pay off your mortgage quickly or all at once, it's literally costing you money to do that because you could hold on to your money and keep it in a savings account that's earning you 5% or better yet, put it into an investment account earning you 7 to 10%. It's just going to cost you more money. I have another episode about paying off debt and how to do the math and also how to weigh how you feel about it. I'm not going to go too much more into that. I will put that in the show notes so you can listen to that because I know some people are just like, it's so ingrained to get their mortgage off the books as quickly as possible. And if you really want to do that, as long as you know the math and that it's not the best mathematical decision, then by all means, it's your money and you've got to do what works best for you. But if you're listening to this episode because you want to optimize the cash that you have on hand, that is not the way I recommend. Okay, so you've got this cash. You are preserving at least three months of it into this emergency fund, possibly more. And then if you have any high interest debt, you're going to take that cash and pay it off. If you still have cash, 
then you want to ask yourself, is this cash earmarked for anything that I'll need within the next five years? Do you want to do a home remodel? Are you planning on going on a vacation? Do you want to buy a car? Whatever it is, I want you to move it into its own separate account and actually call the account by that thing. So I use Capital One 360. And the reason why I love that account, and there's other banks that do this, Capital One 360 is by no means the only one, but you can open up multiple savings accounts. I call them sub savings accounts. That's not literally what they're called, but that's how I refer to them. And I can name them. So I literally have a savings account called vacation. I have a savings account called emergency fund. So I can log into my bank account and see how much do I have in my emergency fund right now? How much do I have in my vacation? And that way, if let's say an emergency does happen, I know that I can pull my money from my emergency fund and then I can see that my vacation account is still intact. Or if I'm going on vacation, I'll transfer money from my vacation account to my checking account so that my credit card goes through, all that will get paid off. And I can see that I'm not accidentally dipping into my emergency fund. If you're to keep it all in one account, then I think the accounting gets really messy and you can accidentally start dipping into paying for a vacation with your emergency fund or vice versa. Other accounts that allow you to have sub-savings accounts are Marcus by Goldman Sachs, Ally Bank. I'm sure there are others, but those are the three that I recommend. And I personally use Capital One 360. All right. So these are the first three steps that I think everyone needs to follow regardless of where you are financially and beyond here. It really begins to become choose your own adventure. To recap, the first step is to make sure you have a funded emergency fund. It does not have to be fully funded, but you need at least three months. And if you're sitting on a lot of cash, you might as well just keep it at six months and call it a day. Second step is to pay off any high interest debt. Third step is to separate out any cash that you know you need or want for other things like remodel, a car, vacation, etc. All right. So here's the fourth step. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this fourth, but this is just my preference and what I would personally do. Again, choose your own adventure. But from here, what I would do is I would max out my Roth for both 2023 and 2024. Roth is a retirement account where you use after-tax dollars, so meaning money that's already... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
putting in your checking account that you got from your paycheck, from your job. It's sitting there and you're going to transfer it to your Roth. If you don't have a Roth, you can open one up at any brokerage firm. I personally recommend either Schwab or Vanguard. But if you already have something at Fidelity, Zero Price, those places are totally fine. You can fund a Roth until the tax year of the next year. So for example, for 2023, you can fund a Roth for 2023 until April 15th, 2024. And then you can fund your 2024 Roth until April 15th, 2025, etc. It may not be exactly April 15th because if the 15th falls on a weekend, then it'll usually be that next Monday or Tuesday, but you get the point. In 2023, if you are under the age of 50, maxing out your Roth looks like putting $6,500 into that account. And for 2024, if you're under 50, that max bumps up to $7,000. If you're over 50, you are allowed to put catch-up contributions into your account, and I believe that is an additional $1,000. So that would be either $7,500 or $8,000 to your Roth. I would absolutely max out both of those. And that's just a quick transfer over into your Roth account after you open. Remember, once the money is in your Roth, you do need to invest it, which is another topic. Not going to go into that today, but I have lots of investing episodes that I did back in the fall. So if you scroll down on the podcast feed, you can listen to those. The next thing I would do is if you have access to a health savings account, is I would max that out as well. A health savings account is kind of what it sounds like. It's a savings account for health-related expenses, but you can actually use it as a retirement account as well. So here's how it works. You're putting pre-tax dollars into that account. That's effectively going to lower your taxable income, saving you money, which is pretty sweet. So this is where an HSA is like a 401k, but an HSA gets even better because if you use the expenses for qualified health expenses, so premiums, prescriptions, I think even things you might buy at CVS are also included. You can Google what is a HSA qualified expense, then you can actually withdraw that money tax-free as well, meaning you don't have to pay taxes on whatever you withdraw. The reason why you're able to use that as an investment account is because if you have money in there after the age of 65, you can use that money for whatever you want. So if you have money in your HSA and you're 45 and you decide you want to take that out to go on a vacation, the IRS is going to say, all right, well, we need to get our cut and we're going to fine you for not using the money as you were supposed to. But let's say you're 66. And you're like, okay, well, now I want the money to go on a vacation. The IRS is like, okay, that's fine. Just pay taxes on it. There's no fine. But if you take that money out either in retirement or before retirement and you use it for qualified health expenses, you pay no taxes on it. So it really is a wonderful account. And in 2023, if you're single, you can contribute up to $3,850 in it, $7,300 if you're married, filing jointly. And those numbers are increasing in 2024. But this is another great way, in addition to your 401k contributions, to lower your tax rate, which will then save you money in taxes. Even though you get a double tax savings, both putting the money in and taking the money out, the reason why I don't think it's the place to put your money before 
a Roth or a 401k generally is because you can use it for health expenses and pre-retirement, basically your working years, which is great. But you do need to prioritize having money that is explicitly for retirement. This is the only reason why I think it's more important to put money elsewhere first. However, because of the tax savings, and if you're already maxing out your Roth and and at least meeting the match at work, then I think it's a great way to get some extra tax savings and some support in medical expenses, especially in retirement. By the way, not everyone will have access to an HSA. You can ask your HR at your company if you do, but generally speaking, you only have access to an HSA if you have a high deductible health insurance plan. So if you have a health insurance plan that either has no deductible or very low, and I believe that threshold is around 1500 you do not have access to an HSA. So if you don't have access, don't worry about it. But if you do, it could be a really great tool. Okay, the next thing that I would do, and this is a little bit more, I don't want to say advanced, but it's a little bit more complicated. But if you're getting really savvy, here's what you could do. And you could do this before maxing out your Roth and or HSA. Again, this really gets into choose your own adventure if you're past step three. But if you really have a lot of money, like literally I've been told by multiple people that they literally have a dollars to $200,000 just sitting in a savings account doing nothing for them. If you're one of those people, this is where you can get real, real savvy. Here's what I would do. What I would do is I would go to my HR and say, hi, HR, I would like to change my contribution to my 401k and I would make it so that you are maxing out your 401k. For 2023, that means a contribution of $22,500. In 2024, that contribution is going up to $23,000. I would do whatever you needed to do to max that out. And will that make your paycheck significantly smaller? Yes. But here's what you're going to do. Let's say your paycheck now just meeting the match is I don't know, you're getting $5,000 per paycheck. I'm just, I always like to use round even numbers. But now that you're going to max out your 401k, not meet the match, but max out, let's say your paycheck now is only $3,500. So what you're going to do is when you get your paycheck, you're going to transfer $1,500, which is the difference between those two paycheck amounts, into your checking account as if it were your paycheck. Does that make sense? So basically what you're going to do is you are effectively making your paycheck much, much smaller because you're maxing out your 401k, but you're not really going to be living on less. You're just going to make up that difference by transferring some of that cash you have in your savings account into your checking account. And you're going to do this for as long as you need to get some of that cash down so that you can really begin to beef up your investments. Then when you meet the max, then you know you can go back to your regular paycheck. And depending on how much you have in your savings account, you might be able to do this for half a year, one year, two years, three years, whatever it is. But it's just a way of transferring money into your 401k. Because what you can't do is if you have $100,000 sitting in a savings account, you can't just call up your HR and be like, hey, HR, I'd like to transfer all this money that I have into my 401k. That's not possible. You're just 
I don't know if laundering is the right word because that's illegal. It's not illegal at, by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a way of doing some accounting with your money so that you have more money going into a pre-tax account, aka your 401k, and then just paying yourself the difference so that you're not living on any less. That's going to save you several thousand dollars in taxes. And your retirement accounts are your best friend when it comes to saving taxes as a W-2 employee. I'll do more podcasts about this next year probably, but there are 10 million ways to save taxes if you work for yourself, if you're very wealthy, if you make most of your income from capital gains, etc. There's less available as a W-2 employee, but one of the main ways is to max out your retirement accounts. And again, if you have a lot of money in your account and if you have access to a Roth 401k through work, you could do the same thing. You could do both because you can max out both a Roth 401k and a traditional 401k at work separately. And they're both capped at 22,500 next year. Again, that number is going up to 23,000. All right, here is the final step. And I do think that regardless of your financial situation, this probably is the last step. And that is if you still have cash in this account after funding your emergency fund, paying off high interest debt, earmarking the money for other things that you also want, maxing out your Roth, maxing out your HSA, maxing out your 401k, if you still have money, then it's finally time to think about taxable investment accounts. I'm going to have to do a whole episode on taxable investment accounts, but often what I have noticed is that this is where people go after they meet the match at their 401k. They'll start a job and they'll fill out their HR forms, they'll check the box, they meet the match, and then they get these ads from Acorns or Robinhood to do investing in a way that's like super, super simple and almost feels like it's social media itself. But those are all taxable accounts for the most part. And when you're looking at taxable accounts, you are taxed at three places. You're using after-tax dollars. You're going to get taxed on whatever stocks you sell, even if you don't withdraw the money and whether or not you sell, you're going to get taxed every year on dividends. But people often will just want to do that because it's easier or it's fun and can't really get their minds wrapped around the idea of doing some of the stuff that I'm talking about in this podcast episode. But then I just want to remind you that rich people spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money on what they can do to reduce their tax burden. And that stuff is great if you're rich, but also I would say it's way more important to do that if you are not part of that super wealthy 1% league. However, if you've maxed out all of the tax deferred accounts, this is where having a taxable account comes into play. So here are some good reasons to have a taxable account. Number one, you've maxed out everything else and you still have money to invest, then taxable accounts are great. Taxable accounts are also great if you want to retire or you think you want to retire before the age of 59 and a half. Let's say you really want to retire at 55. That's great, except you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for your life between the ages of 55 and 59 and a half because you cannot withdraw money from your Roth or your 401k without any repercussions. 
until 59 and a half. So you don't necessarily need to have tons and tons and tons of money in this taxable account. But if you think there might be somewhere between five and 10 years where you're going to have to figure something out, you're not getting social security, you can't withdraw from your 401k. Again, this is where a taxable account will come into play. The other reason for a taxable account is if you want to save for something that is further down the road. Let's say you would love to purchase a vacation home one day or your first home, maybe in 10 years or so, then you can put your money into a more modest investment portfolio. You don't want to do the most aggressive thing in the world, but a more modest one could be a really great idea to help your money grow a little faster. All right. There are a few other things that you could do. You could certainly get into real estate investing. I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to try to get my husband to come onto the show to talk about real estate investing because he has been preaching those gospels since before I met him. So he's definitely the better person to talk to about that. So that certainly is an option. But I do want to just note what's not here. And that is using this money for a down payment on a house. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago. I'll put it in the show notes so you can listen if you need to be refreshed or you missed that episode. I'm not saying buying a house is a bad idea financially. And in fact, depending on where you are in the country and what's going on in the economic market, it could be a great move. But I don't want you to prioritize purchasing a house over doing some of these other things that I talked about specifically maxing out your 401k and a Roth. Because yes, the housing market has been a little bonkers. And if you bought a house a few years ago, you might be thinking, wow, I could sell my house for how much now? I totally get it. And also this is not sustainable and this is not normal. The housing market really only increases about 4% every year, which is far smaller than the stock market average. And also As I said in that episode, index funds don't need their lawn mowed, don't need HVACs, don't need new roofs. So houses only increase in value on average 4% every year, plus it just requires a lot more upkeep. So yes, save for a house, buy a house if you want to buy a house, but I don't want you to think that owning a house is your answer to financial freedom or that it should be prioritized over investing for your retirement. Investing for your retirement is far and away always should be the priority. And then if you have money left over to save for a down payment on a house, then by all means, buy a house. Have fun with that. I hope this episode is super helpful for you. And again, once you get past that step three or so, it really does become choose your own adventure. I don't necessarily think you need to do everything that I said in that order. However, steps one through three, emergency fund, high interest debt, and then earmarking other cash for other purposes. I think that's pretty universal. I think taxable accounts being the last account is pretty universal as well, just because there are so many tax advantages with retirement accounts. But in terms of how you want to prioritize a Roth versus an HSA versus maxing out your 401k, that's going to vary from person to person. And I'm going to do an episode about what to do first, because don't listen to anyone that's saying 401ks are definitely better or a Roth is definitely better because they're not. They're just different. And ultimately, the question of whether or not to prioritize putting your money into a Roth or something like a 401k is ultimately a question that comes back down to taxes because you're going to pay taxes on the money one way or another. 
The question is, is it better to pay it now or pay it later? And it totally depends on so many things that I'm not going to get into now, but that will be the topic of next week's episode. So make sure you listen to that because it's just a tax question. And as I've said, I love talking about taxes. So if I can help you figure this out for yourself, if you want to plan for cash that you are sitting on, again, go to veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me. You can book either a single session or if you want more of a full on money makeover, then you can sign up for my roadmap. And if you're not sure, you can book a 15 minute call with me and I'm just going to answer whatever questions that you have. All of that is over on the link, veronicagrant.com forward slash work with me. I will put that in the show notes. And that's it. I will see you this Friday where I'm going to talk about how to pick a good savings account. And then, like I said, next week, I will be back talking about 401ks versus Roths. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Your Money Show. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss a new episode. And hey, before you leave, can you do me a quick favor? Please leave a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast. It takes just a few seconds for you, and it helps me enormously to get this show out in front of more women just like you. Thank you so much. You can find show notes, transcripts, free resources, and info on how to work with me at veronicagrant.com. See you next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.